Chapter Three of the Lost Parchment by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Lovers, in justice to Handel, it must be said that he by no means intended to desert his friend, even though the enthralling society of Dorinda might have proved an excuse for his forgetfulness. But far from wishing for the banister's absence, Rupert had left a message with his future father-in-law requesting Carrington to see the church after taking leave of the vicar. Out of what the Yankees term sheer cussedness, Mullen had not delivered the message, and every moment Hindle expected the appearance of his friend, quite ignorant that Carrington was already on his way to the big house and thinking that the barrister was being entertained, as one of his cynical character would be, by Mullen's rudeness and by Lee's quaint ways, the young squire forgot all about his old school chum for the time being. This was very natural, seeing that Dorinda was beside him, and he therefore had no eyes or ears save for her. Get a can of water, directed dorinda as they passed from the vicarage jungle into the trim slopes of the churchyard and bring it to me as soon as possible you will find me in the porch arranging the flowers readily consenting to this division of labor the squire went to find mrs jabber and the necessary can while dorinda already possessed of the key unlocked the great oaken door under the porch with her arms filled with roses she entered into the chill twilight of the little fane, chill because the thick walls prevented the summer heat from penetrating into the interior of the building, and twilight, since the sunshine was more or less baffled by the stained glass of the windows. As the girl passed up the central aisle, round her were the squat Norman pillars, Above her loomed the criss-cross rafters of time-darkened oak, and beneath her feet was the storied pavement, inlaid with many a quaintly lettered brass plate, praising the virtues of the dead in monkish Latin. Before her, under the glorious yews of the east window, rose the altar, draped in white and gold with single and triple silver candlesticks, glittering on either side of the tall brass cross. The vases, also silver, were filled with mixed, ill-chosen flowers gathered anyhow and arranged anyhow by Mrs. Jabber, whose eye was anything but artistic. After breathing a short prayer, Dorinda, who had left her roses on a convenient seat, took the vases off the altar and out of the church. Having shaken out the flowers, she brought her crimson blooms into the porch and sat down on the side seat to fulfill what was to her a very pleasant duty. Rupert arrived with the can of water and the information, obtained from Mrs. Jabber, that both Mullen and Carrington had gone home. "'I expect your father forgot to deliver my message,' said the squire, setting down the green can and taking a seat opposite to the girl. "'It is more likely that my father never intended to give it,' replied Dorinda with a shrug. "'Why shouldn't he?' "'Because it was a reasonable thing to do, and my father is never reasonable, as you know.' 
Carrington will think me rude. Not if he can see through a brick wall. And from what you have told me about him, Rupert, I think his eyes are quite keen enough to do so. There is one thing to be said, observed Miss Mullen, rather piqued by the banister's neglect, that your friend isn't anxious to see me. On the contrary, he is very eager, Rupert assured her hastily. Does his going back to the big house look like it? Ah, uh, I expect he had some delicacy in interrupting our tete-a-tete, Dorinda. There's something in that, replied Miss Mullen, dexterously binding her bunches of roses loosely together, and his action speaks well for him. Perhaps I shall like him better than I expect to, Rupert. The squire looked up in astonishment from his task of brimming the altar vases with spring water. Why shouldn't you like him in any case? Well, Dorinda placed a bunch of flowers in a vase and put her head on one side to note the effect. You say that Mr. Carrington is cynical, and I don't like cynical people. I have had so much cynicism from my father that it is impossible to stand more of it from another person. Oh, it's only a pose with Carrington. He's really a good fellow. If he is, why can't he show that he is? My dear Rupert, I never did believe in those people who have hearts of gold and bad manners, who lend you money with a blow and with the best intentions bully you into cheerfulness. What odd things you say, Dorinda, muttered Rupert, not knowing if she was speaking in earnest or in fun. Carrington hasn't bad manners, unless his going away without seeing you. No, no, that may be delicacy she interrupted swiftly. I dare say he's really a nice man, and I shall like him very much. But remember, dear, that knowing you has raised my standard. I shall expect him to be very, very nice. Oh, Dorinda, don't put me on a pedestal, said Hindle, at once dismayed and pleased. I am a very prosaic person. Then I like prosaic persons. And Carrington is very brilliant, went on Rupert, stolidly, as he tugged at his mustache to induce thoughts for his friend's defense. You are quite brilliant enough for me, my dear boy. She rose suddenly, and taking his face between her hands, kissed him twice. There and there. Why are you so exasperatingly modest? Am I? asked Rupert wondering why he had received the caress. Dorinda laughed. Indeed, she could do nothing else, since Hinda was so very literal in his acceptation of her remarks. You're a sweet-tempered donkey, my dear, she said lightly. Now you take those two vases, and I'll take these two. Come along. Shortly the altar glowed with the crimson splendor of the roses and their delicate fragrance was wafted through the chancel. Then the lovers left the church and sauntered back to the vicarage, with a key for Mrs. Jabber, with offended dignity. Miss Mullen was well worth looking at, as she was a gracious and stately maiden, well fitted to be the mate of the Saxon giant. Dorinda was as tall for a woman as Rupert was for a man. 
and carried herself with the same imposing dignity. Her dark hair and deeply blue eyes hinted at an Irish strain, and her vivacity was also Hibernian. But to this fascination, which had to do with the race of the sister isle, Dorinda added much English common sense, so that her romantic dreams never overrode her matter-of-fact instincts. She loved her cousin for his staunch honesty and attractive simplicity of character, since in these qualities he represented the exact opposite of her father. For this last-mentioned individual, whom she had the misfortune to call her parent, Dorinda did not entertain much respect, and hoped by marrying Rupert to escape from a companionship which was very disagreeable to her. It was only Hindle's wealth which induced Mullen to consent to the marriage, but even had he objected, Dorinda would have held to her engagement. Rupert was her man of men, and while he held her hands and looked at her with grave admiration, she thought how fortunate she was in securing such a mate. She esteemed his devotion more than much fine gold. "'My father will be waiting for me at the cottage,' said Dorinda, as she strolled away again. "'A little disappointment won't harm him,' said Hindel, coolly, for he had not much sympathy with Mollen's selfish nature. "'And I want you to meet Carrington. He leaves for London after dinner, and you won't meet him again for some time. Say yes.' Yes, responded Dorinda, who really felt considerable curiosity concerning the object of Hindle's rugby hero worship. But father will be cross. I never knew father when he wasn't cross, retorted her lover, as they resumed their walk and entered the village square. He's an infliction. I tell you what, Dorinda, the best thing we can do is to marry before the roses fade. Oh, Rupert, you are getting quite poetical. Am I? asked Rupert, surprised. That's strange when I don't like poetry. I must teach you to like it, dear. Hmm, said Rupert, rather at sea. You mean, I suppose, that we have much to learn from each other. Something of that sort. You shall do exactly as you like, dear, said her lover as they came in sight of the house. Why, here is Mrs. Beetson. A tall, lean woman with a sour and discontented face and an elegant figure issued from a sidewalk with a basket of flowers. Anyone could see that Hindle's housekeeper was a lady by birth, just as anyone could see that she was not an amiable woman. She was like Mollen and had a tendency to look upon human beings as her mortal enemies, since liking luxury she had never been able to indulge her fancies. Left a widow with one son, she had taken the post of housekeeper some five years before Carrington's visit, and on the whole performed her duties admirably. But being disappointed, in not leading an idle life with sufficient money to gratify her whims, she always went about with an aggrieved air. It was only Rupert's kind-heartedness which permitted her to stay at the big house, and visitors, Carrington among them, wondered how he could put up with such a wet blanket. 
Few people care to have a kind of Christian martyr at their elbow from morning to night. How are you, Miss Mullen? said Mrs. Beetson, greeting Dorinda stiffly. I am just gathering flowers for the dinner table. You will have an early dinner tonight, Mr. Hindle, will you not, as Mr. Carrington is leaving early? Yes, I think I told you, Miss Beetson. We dine at six-thirty. By the way, I met Kit in the village. He looks well. He never comes near me to see if he's well or ill, rejoined the housekeeper bitterly. He's a bad boy. Oh, no, Mrs. Beetson, chimed in Dorinda. Kit is a very good boy. We are all very fond of him. Ah, uh, you don't know him as well as I do, said Mrs. Beetson, shaking her head sadly. He is, but I need not tell you, as you will find out soon enough for yourselves. Excuse me, Mr. Hendel, and you, Miss Mullen, but I must go in with my flowers, and there is Mr. Carrington at the drawing-room window. With a stiff bow, Mrs. Beetson disappeared, while Dorinda shrugged her shoulders. She never approved of Mrs. Beetson's martyr-like airs, which were wholly unnecessary, seeing what a comfortable situation she had. However, there was no time to think about the widow, for Carrington, slipping out of the front door, came down the terrace steps. He looked young and handsome and debonair, evidently presenting his very best side for the inspection of his friend's betrothed. Indeed, having caught sight of the couple from the drawing-room window, he had hastened to come out, with the intention of breaking the ice with the young lady in a light and airy manner. Mr. Carrington had a great belief in first impressions. "'I have eaten all the cakes and have drunk all the tea, Hendel,' he said gaily. "'But had I known that Miss Mullen was to honor the tea-table, I should have restrained my appetite.' How do you do, Miss Mullen? Since Hendel will not introduce me, I must do so myself. Behold, a briefless barrister, Dean Carrington by name, who is delighted to meet you. Thank you, replied Dorinda, shaking hands, and wondering why the man was so emphatically agreeable. Perhaps a touch of her father's misanthropy made her suspicious or perhaps Carrington rather overdid his welcome. I am glad to meet you. Rupert has often spoke about you. I hope he has said nice things, rattled on the barrister as the trio returned to the house. You see, he only remembers what a nice person I was at Rugby, and it is years since we met. I may have changed for the worse. I don't see any change in you replied Hindle with mild surprise. Don't undervalue yourself, Carrington. Why didn't you come on to the church? Perhaps you didn't know that we were there, suggested Dorinda. My father may have forgotten to deliver Rupert's message. Oh, no, the message was delivered right enough, Miss Mullen. But I have been young myself and never, never, never spoil sport. You talk as if you were a hundred remarked Hindle as they began the meal. So I am, in experience of the seedy side of life. You, my dear fellow, are about five years of age. I expect you have found that out, Miss Mullen. 
he is the most unsophisticated youth who has been wrapped up in cotton wool all his life knowing disagreeables only from the newspapers and novels i think that rupert is less unsophisticated than you think replied dorinda a trifle dryly for she did not admire carrington's easy tone of patronage toward her lover and why do you say that you expect i have found that out i may be unsophisticated also you are everything that is charming said carrington alertly but having met your father i think that you are not to be taken in by people dorinda colored knowing well what the keen-witted barrister meant however she endeavored to turn his point by altering slightly a well-worn quotation to know him is a liberal education i suppose you mean she said lightly don't take my father too seriously mr carrington his bark is worse than his bite oh i am sure of that replied carrington who was sure of nothing of the sort we both barked at one another until the vicarage jungle rang we hope to meet again miss mullen and renew our contest of wits by the way to go to another subject the vicar what a man and what surroundings he is quite a character laughed dorinda but the dearest old man in the world the conversation continued mostly in a bantering way for some time and then tea finished rupert proposed to see dorinda to the gates of the park if you don't mind being left alone carrington not at all not at all gather ye rosebuds said the barrister lightly good day and good-bye until our next happy meeting miss mullen with a smile which masked her true feelings for she resented carrington's manner it seemed to her while having tea that he had attempted to make rupert look small dorinda passed out of the drawing-room and into the hall hindle put on his cap and accompanied her down the avenue while the barrister stood at the door and waved a farewell but when they were far enough away to prevent seeing or hearing his brow grew dark confound that hindle he muttered he has all the good things of this world a fine house a large income a delightful betrothed and magnificent health if i were an envious man ha he drew a long breath and then turned sharply as someone passed through the hall it was mrs beatson who always had a habit of coming and going in a ghostly fashion carrington was not sure if she had overheard as he always was suspicious of people's sharp ears and he had spoken somewhat loud however if she had been eavesdropping there was nothing for it but to risk the chance of her repeating his not very wise speech to hindle however again the barrister thought that if the housekeeper did babble he would be quite able to deal with such a fool as the squire therefore he gave mrs beatson a bland smile which she returned with a sour one and climbed up the stairs to his room meanwhile at the gate hindle was asking dorinda a question i think you'll find me a dull sort of fellow after carrington he said ruefully my dear replied the girl throwing her arms round his neck i would not exchange you for one hundred and ten carringtons 
"'You don't like him?' questioned Hindle, greatly surprised. "'No,' answered Miss Mullen. "'I don't. He's double-faced. We'll hand him over to Father. He can deal with him.' And in spite of Hindle's objections, she went away repeating her doubts of the brilliant barrister. End of chapter 3